0: The words of scripture we'll look to this evening is taken from John chapter 19, verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. That's our text. In the name of Jesus, amen. You know, one of the amazing things... About the suffering and death of our Lord Christ is the fact that every detail of it is prophesied in the Old Testament for instance his betrayal by Judas listen to these words from Psalm 41 verse 9 even my bosom friend in whom I trusted who ate of my bread has lifted his heel against me or Think of this, how Jesus was silent before all of his accusers during those trials. Listen to Isaiah chapter 53 verse 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is dumb. So he opened not his mouth. Then you go to Psalm 22, verse 16, and you think of the crucifixion. Listen to these words. A company of evildoers encircle me. They have pierced my hands and feet. And even the mockery of the spectators, that's foretold. Psalm 107, verse 25. I am an object of scorn to my accusers. When they see me, they wag their heads. And then Psalm 22 verse 18 talks about the soldiers gambling for his clothes. Listen to what it says. They divided my garments among them and for my raiment they cast lots. And even though he was crucified not a bone in his body was broken and this is what Psalm 34:20 says. He keeps all his bones not one of them is broken And even our text for tonight talks about this, about his words and the soldiers then giving him that vinegar. Psalm 69:21, "For my thirst, they gave me vinegar. they gave me vinegar to drink. and even the fact that he lies between two criminals and is buried in a witchman's grave, that's in Isaiah 53 verse 9. And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death. As I said in the beginning, every detail of his suffering and dying is prophesied in the Old Testament, which goes to show that none of that was simply accidental. It was not simply incidental. It was not simply tragedy. But every bit of it was part of prophecy, part of God's plan of salvation from way back, in eternity you know during this Lenten season we are looking at the words of Jesus that he spoke from the cross remember he's on the cross six hours and during those hours he speaks seven different times his first words are words of prayer and remember those words he prayed father forgive them for they know not what they do he's praying for his enemies those who have just nailed him to the cross he prays God's forgiveness that God would stay his stay his judgment and give them time for repentance. The next time he speaks, he is uh, answering a prayer. The thief on the cross next to him says, Master, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he says to him today, you'll be with me in paradise. So his second words then, are words of answer to a prayer. His third words then are spoken to those two people probably whom he loved more than any other while he was here on earth, and that's his mother, and the Apostle John. And to his mother he says, Woman, behold your son. And to the Apostle John he says, Behold your mother. And then the fourth time he speaks, he has now experienced the very agonies and torments of hell itself. And in the midst of all of that separation, in the midst of all of that forsakenness, in the midst of all of that horrible, horrible experience, he cries out, My God, My God, Why hast thou forsaken me? Now the fifth time he speaks. It's very short. Two words in English, I thirst. In the Aramaic or Greek, just one word. And you read that and you wonder, why did the Holy Spirit think that was so significant that he would put that into Scripture? What kind of treasure is in this simple word that the Holy Spirit would have us get a hold of? What would the Holy Spirit have these two words say to us in our lives today? They are very short. And yet, in them we catch a glimpse of our Savior. We catch a glimpse of who He is, once again, and His ministry. So many things about Him. And that's what we want to consider now in the next few minutes. But to realize what's all behind these words, we have to kind of go back and work our way up to them. And it starts really in the upper room, you see, after Jesus has instituted the Lord's Supper. Then they go out to the Garden of Gethsemane. And it is in the Garden of Gethsemane that suddenly the terrible burden that's going to be tomorrow begins to just weigh down on him and simply crush him. And he prays so fervently, Father, if it be thy will, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will be done, but thine. And he prays that so, uh, so fervently and the stress is so great and the agony is so great and the hurt in his own soul is so great that finally he is sweating large drops of blood. What an experience that was, but he's sweating large drops of blood. There is the beginning already of what's now going to lead to this terrible thirst. At the edge of the garden, of course, after they're ready to leave, then the soldiers come, the temple guard come, and they arrest him. The disciples flee into the night, and Jesus is left there by himself. And they take him to the palace of Annas. First of all, the ex-high priest, he questions him, sends him on to Caiaphas, who is the present high priest. It's his son-in-law. And there they bring in the Sanhedrin, and they accuse him, and they question him, and they ask him flat out, are you the son of God? And he says, yes. And the high priest tears his robe and says, blasphemy, he is worthy of death. But he has not the power to bring about that death. And so they send him early in the morning, remember, to Pontius Pilate. And Pilate, questioning him, realizes that the charges they are bringing have no substance whatsoever. He has questioned men in the past. He's an old soldier and he knows a revolutionary and so on. And he knows that Jesus is an innocent man. And so he comes out and tries everything he can to try to get him released. But then he can't do it. And so to save his own career, he gives in to the crowd and the mob. And he orders crucifixion. And uh, before crucifixion comes, there's that terrible scourging that whipping and lashing 39 times. And that was horrible. Horrible. Lots of men died during the scourging. Never reached the cross. The scourging was so terrible. And yet our Lord lives through it. And of course there's the crown of thorns and the mockery and the tormenting and all of that thing. All of those things. And then finally going to the Calvary and Falling down on the way. So weak now. That he has to have Simon of Cyrene bear the cross. And then finally. To Calvary. And then that horrible scene. The nails being driven. Feet and hands. And then the jar of that cross being hoisted and dropped into the ground. and The terrible jarring that went along with that. And then those hours, first three of them in the hot sun. You can imagine the wind blowing and the dust blowing. And you can imagine the insects now beginning to come and the wounds bleeding. And gasping for air, falling away from the cross and back against the cross. All of that, that horrible, horrible scene. And after all of that you see then finally these words I thirst because when there's lots of bleeding there is always thirst that follows and he's had nothing to eat and nothing to drink now since the night before and all of this day all the tormenting and all the suffering and all the hurting and all the lashing and all those things has been a tremendous loss of blood and finally now come these words, I thirst. I remember reading about the son of Dr. Everett C. Everett Koop. Remember Dr. C. Everett Koop? He was surgeon, at, uh, you know, surgeon general surgeon, see, under President Reagan. Um, his son, he had a very bright son, but who also was a mountain climber. And he slipped off of a cliff, plunged down and hit the rocks. And as he was dying, his, those who were with him recorded his last words. And I remember those, reading those. And his last words were, first of all, it hurts so bad. And then his very last words were, I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty. And so here is our Lord's life ebbs away he says, I thirst, I thirst. And it's so strange when you stop to think about it. What part water had played in his life? His ministry had begun in water, so to speak. Standing in the waters, John the Baptist baptizes him. That wondrous event. His very first miracle had a lot to do with water, didn't it? Six jars of water, and he changes those into wine. The wedding of Cana. And then remember the night he is talking to Nicodemus. And he's talking about water and the spirit. Because he's talking about baptism. And remember then the the pool of Bethesda. And he helps the man there and gives him healing, that man who can't get into the water of Bethesda. Then remember the Samaritan well and the woman at the Samaritan well and he's thirsty there and he asks for a drink and she gives him a drink of water. What is most significant of course is those very first words of creation and then the words of John which connect him to creation for he was there and when those words were spoken let there be he saw water come which is still such a mysterious blessing, water, such a wondrous blessing, really. And yet that one who was there in the very beginning and saw it all happen, now begs for some drops of water. I thirst. I thirst. And what again is so remarkable about those words is, In that little, in those two words, we see something so much about our Savior. One of the things we see is how real his forgiveness was. When he said about his enemies, Father, forgive them for they know what they do. Those were not just pious words spoken. Those were real words spoken. He really did forgive those who were crucifying him. Sometimes people say things like this, and you've heard things like this too, I'm sure, where someone will say, well, I will forgive him, but I'll never ask him to do anything for me. Yeah, I'll forgive him, but I'll never ask him to do anything for me. The very fact that Jesus asks those who have done these things to him shows how forgiveness was really real. Another thing it shows is his humility, his humility, you see. That here are his tormentors, here are those who are tormenting him and because of his helplessness, and they're tormenting him because of his helplessness. Get a hold of that. But they say, you've saved others, why can't you save yourself? And they say, if you really are the Son of God, if you really are who you say you are, why don't you come down from the cross? See, they're taunting him for his helplessness. And yet, when he says, I thirst, he is acknowledging his helplessness. The very Son of God is acknowledging his helplessness to his enemies, which shows two things. It shows his forgiveness of his enemies and his humility even in the face of his enemies. Because you've heard things like this too, and and you can imagine you know, if there had been pride there, and if there had been any kind of sense of resentment there, he could have said, you know, I'll die before I'll ask for a drop of water from these people who were doing these things to me. But of course he did not. He did not. He forgave them and then reached out to them. And here again we see his love. We see his forgiveness. We see his humility. And then we see his love. Because... Think of all the things he has done before he even thinks of himself. Because he has forgiven his enemies, that's the first thing. He has given paradise and heaven to a criminal. He has taken care of his mother. And now he has taken care of the sin of the world. And now after all of that, after all of that reaching out, after all of that thinking about others, after all of that ministry, then finally he says, I thirst. And speaks of his own need after he's taken care of all of the needs of others. Why? What that shows you is that down to the very end, he is still the Savior. Down to the very end, he is still reaching out. He is still in ministry right down to the very end. I thirst. I thirst. But think of this too, that his thirst is not just a physical thirst. That he is experiencing all of the spiritual thirst that comes from the sin of mankind. And the spiritual thirst of mankind is just overwhelming. That goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. You see, sin produces spiritual thirst. Sin produces spiritual thirst. Think of this. That sin produces a thirst for God himself. That when we are separated from God, sin produces a a thirst for God himself. And so often people don't know that what they're really thirsty for is God. For instance, AA in the 12 steps says the real problem with alcoholism is a thirst for God. And six of the 12 steps say you've got to get back to God and you're never going to get sober and stay sober until you get back to God. What AA is saying, the primary thirst that contributes to alcoholism They thirst for God. And the same thing is true in this 12 steps as they connect with gambling, as they connect with uh, drugs, any of those kind of things. There's a thirst for God. Man is looking for God and is doing those things which would supposedly satisfy but never do. G.K. Chesterton once said this, and this is so insightful too. He says, The man who pushes the doorbell of a brothel is really looking for God. He's not looking for sex. He's looking for God. The man who pushes the doorbell of a brothel is looking for God. And what G.K. Chesterton was saying, there's a thirst that he wants to satisfy. And he thinks he's going to find it there. Of course he will not. But that's a thirst for God. But think of this, the thirst for forgiveness. Man knows that he's estranged from his God. He knows that he cannot stand before a holy God and so he thirsts for forgiveness. And you'll look at the sun, you know, the Hindu will look at the sun for hours trying to find forgiveness. And all kinds of people doing all kinds of things, all kinds of... people sacrifice their children in the ancient world looking for forgiveness. Man will do all kinds of horrible things looking for forgiveness. There is a thirst for forgiveness. There's a thirst for freedom. There's a thirst for acceptance. People will do all kinds of things trying to be accepted by others. That's what peer pressure is all about. There's a thirst for love. People wanting to be loved and wanting to love others and not finding it, thirsting it. And can't find. Or there's a thirst for meaning or there's a thirst for understanding or there is a thirst for peace. Think of all the things people do looking for peace. They're thirsty for peace. They're thirsty for hope. They're thirsty for the healing of the wounds they have. They're thirsty for an answer to the heartaches that they feel. There's all kinds of thirst, you see. Goodness. Because sin hides us from God. It hides his face from us. It obscures the truth. And all of the consequences of all of this sin is this thirst. Is thirst. And Jesus came to take care of that. And that's what the cross is all about. And Jesus, when he cries out, I thirst, what he's doing is dying for the thirsts of the world, which manifest themselves in so many ways. I thirst. Because he said that, you and I will not have to say that, and we'll never have to say it in eternity. Remember Jesus at at the well of the Samaritan woman? Remember his words to her? He said, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. Whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. The water that I shall give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And what Jesus was saying to the woman at the well, he still says to us today, that he and he only can satisfy the deep thirsts of the human soul. And that is so true. And yet there is so much searching, like I just said, for that which will fulfill that thirst. A couple of years ago, it was in the Kansas City paper, Shirley MacLaine, the actress Shirley MacLaine, is in Kansas City. And she is giving a seminar in which she is talking to this, how to find your true self, how to discover the God who is in you, and also talking about reincarnation. And 1,200 people pay big money to hear her talk because she is Shirley McLean, and she can help you find out who you are and the God that is within you and get ready for reincarnation. What does that show? That shows that there's all kinds of people who are so thirsty that they will big, pay big money to try to find out how to satisfy the thirst that is in them. And what our Lord is saying to us here, and what this text is saying to us here, is that Jesus is the only one who satisfies thirst. That finally only he can satisfy the thirst for forgiveness. That only he can satisfy the thirst for hope and peace and joy. That only he can satisfy the thirst for the certainty of salvation. That only he can satisfy the thirst for meaning and significance. Only He can satisfy the thirst for purpose in life. Only He can satisfy that wanting to know who I am and who God is and who I am in relation to Him. I thirst. Only two words and yet so filled with meaning and revelation. And it is because Jesus spoke those two words That you and I can leave here tonight with thankfulness in our hearts. And we can leave here tonight spiritually refreshed and confident of our salvation. Amen.